Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, I would like to share a message with you today titled, What's the Difference Between Abraham? You know, we heard from the Torah this morning in, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and, and Deborah did an excellent job reading it, didn't she? And as we went through that, we could see that these words give an account of Abraham's life that took place 4,000 years ago. But yet these words still apply in our lives today. You could insert us back in that time, and you can see how we might react. But what I want to do is look at what was the difference between Abraham. He was in that land. He was in the situation that we were talking about. How he dealt with it was different than the way most people dealt with it. And I would say if Abraham was here in our life today, he would deal similarly. It doesn't matter the situation. God is in control. And the, the big thing we see with him is he had a lot of trust. So one of the big things that I see, the differences, and I, I've got a few points. There was a lot of things. I won't have time to go through everything with you unless you want to be here for three hours. Anybody want to? <laughs> one of the challenges I'm finding is that I'm preparing messages. And Rabbi Michael, he kind of laughed at me when I shared this with him. I'm like, how do I share all this? He's like, you don't. You just, you, you get your material together and you share what you can and you focus on the most important parts. But the Word of God's so vast. And I just encourage you, if you're not studying the Word on your own, you're missing out. What I can share with you in 40, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, it's nothing compared to what you can get on your own in the Word with the Holy Spirit and just getting in touch with the Lord. But when you combine the two and you can include even family worship, you're going to get so much more. So it's like anything in life. What you put into it, that's what you're going to get out of it. So the first thing that I saw was really different about Abraham is he put his trust in God, not in man. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of the things not seen. Now, I think we could all argue that this wasn't always too true with Abraham. If you look back and I say things like, uh, he left for Egypt. You guys remember that? What was happening in the land? There was famine in the land. He went to the promised land, but he didn't stay in the promised land. He actually left and went to Egypt. So you could argue and say, well, how, was he really faithful in that moment? Or what if I mention this? He told two kings that Sarah was his sister. I mean, is that, is that really trusting? Well, the Lord will provide for me. He was in fear of his life. He's, that was the reason he did it in both cases with the king in Egypt, but also with King Abimelech. He says, no, I'm in fear that they will kill me. So he chose to do that. But I would challenge you today that yet, even though he did do those things, when God told Abraham to do something, he did do it, right? He did go to the promised land. He left Haran, which by the way, he went with his whole family and he left all of his ways of life. Can you imagine what that would feel like? 
Anybody here that's not from here originally? A lot of us. So you can relate with this comment, right? Then, and it's amazing that this is starting to feel like home or maybe feels like home already for us. But you could imagine when you're being uprooted out of everything you know, the land that you love, the families that you love, everything, the way you've learned to live in life, the holidays, all of that. And you're just being uprooted out of that because one voice, God says, go. And it changes everything, doesn't it? How many of you are here today because God changed your life with just one word? Amen. And it's amazing how that can change. Well, I want to read through those verses again that Deborah had shared with us earlier. And that is in Genesis 12, the first three verses. It says, Now Adonai said to Avram, Get yourself out. Get out of what? Get out of your country, away from your kinsmen, away from your father's house, and then go. I mean, we just talked about that. That's not exactly a comfortable situation. He says, and go to the land that I will show you. Anybody like plans besides me? I don't really like to just react to things. I know if you've been in the military, you, sometimes you got to react to contact. You don't always have a choice. Sometimes you're dealing with situations coming at you. But I think most of us would appreciate to know where we're going, what's going to happen. Are we going to have stops along the way? Are we going to have some food? And then if you have family, children, and how about this, animals? Can you imagine what that would be like? Very challenging. But in God says, I will show you. You have to have tremendous faith to do something like that. Verse 2, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Look at all the things that God is promising him right here. He's taken him to a nation. He's going to make him a great nation. He's going to bless him, and he will make his name great. And you are to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who curses you, and by you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, that's pretty amazing when you think about how God spoke to him in all of this. And those things all came true. If we had more time, I would go into every single detail about all these things and show you in Scripture how they came true. I don't even have to show you all in Scripture. Israel was born again in a day. We talked about that earlier, right? The land is still alive. The people are still alive. That is living proof of God's Word, which we're reading right here today. Well, the second thing I'd like to share with you that's different about Abraham than the people that he was around is that he had unity in his house. Now, I'm sure some of you might be laughing, saying, well, is that really true? You could think about Hagar. Anybody remember her? And how about we throw in another name, Sarah? Can you imagine being in that house while Hagar is nine months pregnant? I would not want to be in that room. No thanks for me. Well, let me read something to you about the idea of unity. And I want to share something that Rabbi Shaul, the Apostle Paul, shared with the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, it says, And now, brothers, shalom. Put yourselves in order. Guys, you want to have a good family? You want to have a good community? You want to have a good organization, a good business? This is the first step right here. we got to have things in order. Pay attention to my advice. And get this, if you get anything from today, get this one right here. Be of one mind. Anybody here at the Tower of Babel? You know what they had in common? One mind. And what did God say about them? They were unstoppable. So if we can be of one mind in Messiah, guess what we can be? Unstoppable. So be of one mind, live in shalom, 
and the God of love and shalom will be with you. Anybody want the God of love and shalom with us? Yes. That's what we want. That's what gives us peace. Even when everything's crazy going on around us, we can still have peace. Well, I talked to you about Hagar, the idea. You'd say, well, that doesn't sound like unity in the house. I would agree with you. That does not sound like unity in the house. I would even throw another one at you. How about Lot's servants? There was arguments going on between Abraham's servants and Lot's servants. But I have a question for you. How many of us have issues in our own houses? And you don't have to raise your hands for that. But I think if we are honest about it, we could say there is unity in our home, but there's also periods of disunity. And one of the things that makes Abraham really great in this is how he deals with these situations. You know, having issues is a part of life. And if you'll look at Abraham, how he dealt with the issues. Let's take, for example, we talked about Hagar and Sarai. Abraham continued to show loving kindness to Sarah. He continued to listen to her complaints. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? She's like saying, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to take my maidservant as your wife, and you're going to have a child with her. And he says, okay, I'm going to do that. But then the next minute she's saying, I did tell you that we could do this, but now it's your fault. What's the typical thing? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm the guy that will say, no, it's your fault. That's not what Abraham did. He didn't take that approach. You know what he said? He said, she's your maidservant. You deal with her as you see fit. And I will tell you, if you read on, it said that, he, that Sarah dealt with Hagar, her maidservant, very harshly. You know what that means? He probably witnessed this. By the way, she could have been pregnant with his son, and this is also his wife. Now, he had to witness this and live with the choices that he made. So I think there's something that Abraham probably learned from this. I think I'm going to go to God before I answer my wife next time. And you know what he did? Later on, she said, I want to get rid of him. And what did he say? He said, you know what? Listen to your wife and do it. But then God still blessed that family. So he went to God first in that situation. So I think that one of the things we can see is Abraham continued to show loving kindness to Sarah. He listened to her complaints. He gave her freedom to act. But he also... Showed love, he continued to show loving kindness to Hagar and Ishmael. He didn't neglect them. And I think that's something that's different. He had two families. Can we agree on that? In fact, he's the father of many nations. And he even had more wives after Sarah died. But one thing that's really different about him is he pleaded for this family. He cared so much about Ishmael. I believe he cared for Hagar. But I think he avoided her more because of the relationship with his wife, Sarah. So if we take a minute and let's look at this. He showed kindness to them. He pleaded for Ishmael. Let's look at Genesis 17, verse 18. It says, So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live before you. Look at verse 19. But God said, On the contrary, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you might name him Isaac. So I will confirm my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. So this promise was passed not through Ishmael, his firstborn, but through his firstborn with the promised one. It was with Isaac. Verse 20, though, this is what I love about God. And it tells us a lot about God here. It says, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. You know, Yeshua said something very profound. He says, you have not because you ask not. Did you see what he did here? He asked. 
But you know what? It wasn't revealed to him at this point, until this point that he asked. Listen to what God says. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. See, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful. If you go back through the text, if we had more time, 13 years ago, God actually answered Hagar when she was crying out. When Sarah treated her so badly, she took off. And she's crying out, and God said, I'm going to bless your son Ishmael. You go back and serve this woman who's treating you horribly, and I'm going to bless you. By the way, 12 princes came from Ishmael. But here's the thing. Hagar probably didn't share that with Sarah. And I'm sure that she didn't share it with Abraham because he had no clue about it until here. And this is much later. This is 13 years after God told her. So God already had that in place. But now that he's asked, he gets to see that that's going to happen. So God says, I will make him fruitful. I will multiply him very, very much. He will be the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. So you see, we can see how God, how Abraham dealt with these things. He also listened to God. God told him to do this. Listen to your wife. He trusted him. And look how it worked out. Ishmael was safe. The other one I wanted to look at that I mentioned before was Lot and Abraham's servants. The way that Abraham dealt with this is amazing. In Genesis 13, verse 5, it says, Now Lot was going with Abram, also had sheep and cattle and tents, so that the land could not support them living together. Why? Because their possessions had become too many. There's a lesson right here for us. Some of us want to be wealthy. Some of us want more responsibility. Do we realize the consequences of this? Some of us aren't prepared for this kind of growth. And clearly, they weren't ready for this kind of growth. God was blessing them so much, there was not enough room. If you go back, God told Abraham to leave his kinsmen. He brought Lot, didn't he? There wasn't enough room for him in there. If he had listened to God, this wouldn't have been. But I think one of the beautiful things we see is God's so merciful. He took care of Lot. And even when Israel came into the land, God said, don't mess with Lot's land. He took care of those people as well. So it said, because their possessions were many and they were not able to stay together. Verse 7 says, so there was a quarrel between the shepherds of Abram's livestock and the shepherds of the lives, Lot's livestock. Let's go on to verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife. How many of us, when we have an issue and someone comes to us with the problem, is that where we start? Please don't let us have strife. Or do we say, well, let's, hear, let's, let's deal with your problem first and then we'll deal with mine, right? A lot of times we do that and we say we don't want to do that, but I, I personally can tell you I've done it. And, and even as a believer, sometimes I still struggle with this. We do not want to have strife between each other. And it says here, please let there be no strife between me or you or between shepherds of, and yours and shepherds of mine. We are relatives. And I think there's something to this. If we're family, and here we are in this community, we're mishpacha. We're family in a spiritual sense. Verse 9, isn't the whole land before you? Please separate yourself from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. And if to the right, then I'll go to the left. What do we see here? He gives him first choice. How many people would do that? You know, there's an issue at hand. He says, you know what? I want peace with you. You make the decision. You tell me what's going to work, and I'll live with that. Very loving. And I, I think that tells us a lot about the character of Abraham. So let's continue on. Abraham, he gave Lot first choice. He was a true peacemaker. And anyone in his house was a part of his faith. 
That's something that I would say is very different about Abraham is anyone that was in his household, in his camp, was part of his faith. When God instructed Abraham, he obeyed it. He did not exclude the people who worked with him. He didn't exclude anyone. He didn't include his half, you know, his, his son that wasn't with Sarai, Ishmael. He included him in everything. And if you look in Genesis 17, we get a glance at this in verse 23. Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all the slaves that were born in his house, and all who had been bought with his money, every male among the people of Abraham's household. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day, just as God said for him to do. So first of all, he's obeying God in this. And I don't know about you, but he, this guy, he's 99 years old. Ishmael's 13 years old. You know, we see when they crossed over the Jordan just before they did, Israel's been in the land for they're in the wilderness for 40 years, right before they crossed over, they had to do something similar, right? And they call it the mountain of foreskins. This was not a million people strong or 600,000 men strong, but I will tell you, Abraham was a warrior. He was quite a warrior. He had at least 300 men with him that were trained fighters. And by the way, guess who was there leading the way? Abraham. Third thing I'd like to share with you that's really different about him is he was in this world, but he was not of this world. He was incredibly rich, incredibly powerful, but he didn't want anyone to get any credit for any of the glory that belonged to God. And I'll give you a great example of this. In Genesis 14, verse 22, it says, But Avram said to the king, of Sodom, of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing. He just defeated five kings with his three or four hundred men. Can you imagine? That's the kind of warrior that this guy was. By the way, his cousin, his nephew Lot, he went and rescued him. They were taken hostage. The one that he brought down from Haran, he was taken hostage. Not only did he get his, his nephew back, he got his entire family back, and he got all of their goods back. And then he went and took out all the kings after that. It's incredible. But here, this king is coming to him to thank him. And what does he say to the king? I'll take nothing. He says, from a thread of the sandal strap, and that you will not take anything that is yours, lest you say, and he didn't want him to have any chance to say, I have made Abraham rich. He said, except only what the young men have eaten. So now he's talking about his soldiers. He's talking about his servants, his slaves. He wanted to take care of them, which tells us another aspect of him. He's caring for them and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. You know, he didn't want anyone to say that he made him rich. And it was one thing to say that we believe in God, but how many of us are willing to put our money where our mouth is? I mean, that's a whole different aspect. When you look at what he's doing here, this right here, what was he doing? He was actually giving a tithe. He took a tenth at this time period here. Instead of taking, he gave a tenth of what was given back, and he offered that to this king. And it really, who did he do it to? He did it to the Lord. This priest that was there, he was giving it to him who was a priest for God. So equally, I think it's important to realize he was very generous. He gave to his future daughter-in-law family when he went back up to Haran to get a wife. By the way, God told him to go from Haran to where? To Canaan, right? Well, now his son Isaac's older. 
Did he want him to go back? No. He took his servant and he said, you go back up and get it. Get, me a, get a wife for my son. And he wanted to have a special person for her, but he didn't allow his son to go back up there. And I think there's a lesson in that. When we are told to go somewhere with, from God and we need to get moving, you need to let your next generation know, don't go back where God just told me to leave. You know, that, that's an important lesson there. You look at Eli or you look at Samuel. They had sons that were wicked and they actually went back the opposite direction of where their righteous fathers were going. You know, one thing I saw, too, is that Abraham showed tremendous hospitality. You know, he, he had visitors come. He stopped everything. He got the best food for them. He even slaughtered a fresh animal. He had his wife make fresh bread. He invited them in. This is the kind of person he was. And is hospitality important? Absolutely. You know, it's one thing to share a bunch of knowledge, but if nobody knows that you care about them, what is that? Where's the love in all that? Romans 12, verse 13 says, share what you have with God's people and practice hospitality. Now, if you really want to be a lawyer about this, you could say, well, who's God's people? You know, I will challenge you with this. Who's your neighbor, right? It's the same thing. We should be showing hospitality to people, right? It's, it's a godly character trait that we saw in Abraham. Another thing that I see about Abraham, we, we talked about his faith, we talked about how he was not of this world and that we saw that he had unity in his house. Another thing is he loved incredibly greatly. And a, a verse that we are very common, familiar with, that our Messiah shared with us is John 3.16. I imagine most of you have that memorized, no matter what your walk is. I think there are secular people that have this verse memorized. For God so loved the world, right? And on. Well, that same author wrote 1 John 3.16, which I think is quite a parallel. And we're going to take a look at that. 1 John 3.16 says, The way that we have come to know love is through His. This His is Yeshua. You know, if we read John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. Well, here we're seeing that we came to know love through His lay, having laid down His life for us. So God sent his son, but his son, Yeshua, laid down his life for us. So it was willingly. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If we're truly following Yeshua, this should be something that we're willing to do. How many of us are willing to go out there and take a bullet for one of our brothers or sisters? And when it says brothers here, they're not just talking about men. I mean, this is, that's the problem with English we have today. When you hear the words brothers or men, often, not always, they're referring to everybody, right? There's a masculine, feminine type thing with language. Um, but we see that Yeshua, he so loved the world, and in turn, we should so love. And Abraham definitely understood this concept. I shared this with you earlier. He was a warrior, he went after Lot and not even his own son. He treated, he adopted his brother, by the way. They came from the land of Ur, which is in the Chaldeans. And by the way, that was not a pleasant thing to have to leave. Their life was in order. But his father said, we're going to leave the entire family. His father was Terah, and we're going to go all the way to Canaan. And you know what happened? They got 700 miles, and they stopped in an area called Haran. Now, Haran is fascinating because you know what Haran is? It's the name of the brother that died. 
So it's possible that Tehran maybe even named that city because you'll see through the Bible, many people will name cities after themselves or after their sons, like Enoch. I've seen that in the Bible. There's other places. But they went 700 miles and stopped in Haran. And some experts or scholars will say that Terah only lived a little while there and then he died and then Abraham went on. Well, I, I could challenge that and we don't really know the facts for sure. But the thing is, there was 60 years between that time period of Abraham being born and the time that Terah died. So you can do the math. They may have spent a lot of the time over there. We don't know for sure, but it's possible they could have spent decades in Haran he, his father could have went all the way to the promised land, but stopped. Nonetheless, God said, I want you to go. So that's what he did. And I, I think that's quite incredible. But he was a warrior. He cared for this, this nephew of his lot, the one that was kidnapped. His entire family was held hostage. And do we, can we relate with that today? Yes, that's going on in the land right now, isn't it? These things happen. But he was a warrior that went after them. He went after the kings. Another thing that I see is that we talked about the loving. We talked about the unity, not being of this world, having faith. He cared about the generations to come. His life was more than his life. He saw the generations before. He saw the generations after. Life is this timeless thing. When you look at God in the spectrum of things, and we read the entire Bible, you see God throughout, right? You see all these different authors, all these different books, in all these different locations, but God's throughout. And Abraham got that concept. He saw that the decisions he was making that day were going to affect kings and princes and all kinds of things. But most importantly, there was one promise that was really important, and we saw that in Genesis 12, verse 3, that all the world would be blessed. And that comes through one seed. And I think that's incredible that he did that. But he loved his family so much. And he valued his children. He cared deeply, as I've shared with you. If we look in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, this is something we recited today. And I, I think Josh did an excellent job going through the Vehafta. It says, and these words to which I command you today are to beware on your heart. And what does it say you're supposed to do? To teach them diligently to your children. Do we get this? This is our responsibility. This is a charge from God. These are God's words. You're to teach these diligently to your children, and you're to talk of them when you do what? When you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It's not like, okay, I'm going to drop them off at Shabbat school, and they're going to get their education today. It's so much more than that, isn't it? It's every moment of the day when you have an opportunity, sow those seeds and be talking about God's word and his ways and living it out, that's going to make a big difference in your family. One other thing I want to talk about that he did is he, trust, he entrusted by God, and I mentioned this earlier, that he would have the seed. He was the carrier of the seed of not only the father of faith, but he's the father of Messiah. And that's something that's really different about him. In Genesis 22, verse 18, it says, In your seed... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because why? You've obeyed my voice. We've all agreed that God has called him. And some of us have even agreed that God has called us. Are we obeying his voice? Are we following through? Are we a Terah that went and stopped in Haran? Or are we an Avraham that's going all the way to the promised land? Well, Yeshua is that promised seed. I want to show you this in the New Covenant. It shows in Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Avraham. 
There's so many of them. He had seven blessings, if I remember right, and to his seed. But it doesn't say, and to seeds, as if so many. On the contrary, it speaks of one. And to your seed, and this one is Messiah Yeshua. And if you were listening closely to what Deborah shared in her message today, she was sharing this with us. Yeshua is the one. We can go from Abraham, we can go from Isaac to Jacob, we can go all the way through David and so on until we get to the lineage of Yeshua. Yeshua is that promised one. He's the only seed that has made a way for the entire earth to be blessed. How? He lived a sinless life, first of all. So he's a pure seed. Think of him as an actual seed that would be planted in the ground that's worth growing. If you are, any gardeners here? Seeds are important, aren't they? You know, some people want to get those heirloom seeds. Some people want to get certain seeds that don't do certain things. Most people would agree you want a seed that's going to produce what you want, and you want it to be quality. But he, was, he lived a sinless life, and he gave a ransom for us all, and he was also buried. Like a seed, Yeshua was buried. When did he die? On Passover. When did he rise? On first fruits. Think about that. The fruit is rising up. This seed was planted in the ground for three days and three nights, and he rose up from the dead, producing good fruits. When that seed died, it opened up, and guess what happens when it grows? It produces more seeds and produces more life. God's ways bring life and healing, and that's what he's done. He's the second Adam. He's the righteous one who lived that sinless life that was buried and resurrected from the dead, and he lives today. That's the beautiful thing about him. He's producing fruit that's with more seeds. And if these seeds get watered with his Holy Spirit, then they grow and produce more good fruit. Yet he's the promised seed that defeated death. He made a way for all of us to be right with God. And here's the beautiful thing. He doesn't just sit up at the right hand of God and he's not coming back. He's actually coming back. He's going to rule and reign here on earth. And that is something that we should all be excited about. I'm ready for some justice. How about you? I'm ready for some true love and care. I want a government that wants to do everything right, cares about people. I'm tired of seeing the poor widow and orphan being neglected. I don't know about you. I, I remember when I was younger, I was in college, and I was taking some sort of government class, and we had to go to a town hall meeting, and I was listening to them talk, and you know who was there? It was all the retired people. They had their hands up there asking these questions, and this person was there just appeasing them, and it really made me sad inside, and, and they were asking, we need health care. We need this, the roads. We have all these issues. We don't have enough. Help us, and it was almost like, okay, I got to go. No more time for questions, and nothing changed. I watched it over the decades. Nothing changed. In fact, I think it went in a more downward spiral. Well, I think a question we can ask ourselves is what's different about us than others in this generation? You know, we are told to shine as lights. And if we're truly followers of Yeshua, if we truly are filled with the Holy Spirit, we should live a life that's different. I understand we're not perfect. I understand we're still working on being unified. We have issues, but are we being like an Abraham? Are we going to God and getting advice? Are we one that actually esteems others better than ourselves? Are we trying to be a peacemaker as much as it depends on us? When people observe us, what do they see? Do they see truth? 
Do they see hope? Do they see love? Most importantly, do they see God? It's much easier to show when everyone else agrees with us, isn't it? You can look back just, I don't know, go back 20, 30 years, go back 50 years, go back 100 years. This nation, it was easier to say, I'm a believer, right? It's changing very rapidly. Don't be surprised if things change more rapidly here soon. Are we ready to take that stand? Are we going to be the warrior like Abraham? You know, when everyone else agrees, it's a whole different story when people are opposing us or accusing us. God forbid that happens to us, but I think there's some encouragement that we can find that uh, Peter shares with us. In 1 Peter 3.13, he says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Guys, if we're doing the right thing, if we're actually studying the Torah and living it out, if we're submissive to our master, Yeshua, and following his every word and being filled with the Holy Spirit, we can actually live a righteous life. And anybody believe that? I think that we're capable of doing this. We don't have to keep sinning. In fact, Yeshua said, go and sin no more. But he was merciful, wasn't he? We need to show that same mercy to people too. Verse 14, but if... But even if you should suffer, for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Did you notice it's for righteousness' sake? It's not for your own cause. It's for the cause of the kingdom. But if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed and do not be afraid. I encourage us all not to be afraid of threats or not to even be troubled by it. Verse 15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What's sanctify? Set him apart. What's in your heart? It's what you're focused on. It's what you're putting in your mind. What's going in your eyes, your ears? Are you putting holy things into your life? Are you surrounding yourself with holy people? Are you trying to make a difference? Are you taking the higher road when you're around people that are hitting at you? We're commanded to even love our enemies. I mean, this is from Yeshua, not me. It says 15, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense of every, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you. But how should we do it? With meekness, with fear. It's not, I told you so. See, I told you you'd suffer. You didn't listen. We don't want to have that Nineveh-type attitude like Jonah, right? We want to see people blessed. We want to see lives changed. Verse 16, having a good conscience if you've got something that's not right with the Lord, get right with him. If you don't have a good conscience, it's not going to go well. But having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Messiah may be ashamed. So that's what I'd like to leave you with today. I have many more thoughts that I'd like to share with you, but I want to leave it at that. So if you would please stand with me, I'd like to pray. Heavenly Father, we need you, and we want to trust you like Abraham did. We want to love you like Abraham did, Lord. And, and we are doing what we're doing. But, Lord, we ask that you take us to the next level. Fill us with more of your Holy Spirit. Anoint us to do the good works. Lord, if there is any spot or blemish or anything that's getting in the way of our relationship with you, I ask that you make it obvious. Reveal that to us so that we can change, Lord, so that we can be the person that you want us to be, that we can be that vessel of light to those in the darkness, that we can take a stand boldly and not be ashamed because there's something that's holding us back of our own sins. Lord, 
We ask that you be with those who are suffering around the world, fellow believers and Messiah. Comfort them, Lord. Help them to not be afraid. Help them to not be troubled right now, but to sanctify the Lord in their hearts. Lord, please be with those who are suffering. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for this glorious time that we can celebrate today. We give you all the praise and glory. Shem Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.